0: There's value in diversity, period.
1: So you have race, ethnicity, gender, age, religion.
0: Think about diversity as
2: strength. Hello and welcome to the inaugural podcast of Voices of Diversity. My name is Gabriela Casares, postdoctoral scholar here at UCHRI and host for the series. So why Voices of Diversity? The term, albeit is a very important one, but a loaded one at that it entails so many different facets that really shift according to the context. For example, recently Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg stirred up a lot of controversy when he spoke of his company as having a great deal of ideological diversity. He was trying to cast a wider net and be more quote-unquote inclusive. The problem however is that focusing exclusively on various varying experiences without acknowledging race and ethnicity and class to name a few fails to take into account the larger historical and systemic conditions of marginalization impacting a lot of underrepresented communities. Diversity, however, is fundamental in higher education. The term is central to a lot of university and college mission statements. Underrepresented groups, whether we're talking about faculty, staff, students, we're always being told that diversity matters and that diverse statuses contribute to the strength of the university. But what exactly is diversity and Perhaps more importantly, what does it look like in practice? To help address these questions, I asked various representatives at multiple universities. We began with Whitney Laster-Pirtle, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of California, Merced. She specializes in race, ethnicity, and social stratification
3: the concept of diversity is interesting and complex. It's become a buzzword that focuses more on the symbolic aspects, just having diverse representation. It could be a a variety of different forms of representation, but I think typically when we're thinking about diversity, we're thinking about racial and ethnic diversity. So just having more numbers, increased numbers, of people who are from historically underrepresented ethnic and racial groups.
2: Here, we begin to unravel the definition, and we'll come back to Whitney in a moment. Numbers are an important part of this very complex equation. This is Henry Lam, doctoral student with the Department of East Asian Languages and Literatures at the University of California, Irvine.
1: So if you look at the UC policies, they do define diversity as the different aspects and conditions one's cultural and uh, situational experience. So you have race, ethnicity, gender age, religion, language, and so on. Since starting school at UCI as a doctoral student, I found that diversity is actually quite unique to each individual because of the way he or she sees himself in the world, you know, conditioned by those experiences. I'd say that as a term, it's constantly being revised, and it's something that has to constantly uh, be rethought uh, year to year.
2: There are multiple factors and aspects of our identities at play when it comes to diversity that demand recognition. Scholars have dubbed this intersectionality. Whitney again.
3: I value, you know, the concept of intersectionality because it it does explain how all of us bring with, with ourselves a certain set of statuses and identities and experiences, and that they're embedded within different kind of systems of stratification. And so when we approach an issue, we're coming from different angles. And being a woman um, and being a mother and being a woman of color and being an academic brings um, each of them alone, bring a certain set of obstacles to go through in order to achieve a certain amount of success but when you look at the intersection of them I think it um, I think those can be amplified.
2: Intersectionality frames social cultural and long-term challenges linked to diversity but how do we best define these various blockages or hurdles in higher education? Our next guest is Jenny Kwan, Associate Chief of Staff with the Office of the Chancellor at
0: the University of California, Berkeley. In my mind, I have to separate what barriers are structural, historic, institutional, that even if everyone at the, every senior level leader cares to change, it is in the structure, the barriers um, of our history.
2: Acknowledging and recognizing the role of systemic as well as individual biases and assumptions, and sometimes these are conscious, other times subconscious. On paper, diversity promotes heterogeneous communities. It looks really different from campus to campus, and more so when we we begin to look more closely into specific departments, spaces like cultural centers, and even constituencies. In other words, there is no universal model. Flexibility is necessary in terms of defining and accommodating diverse, constantly changing groups. Jenny again.
0: Running a university is challenging in and of itself and providing um, and living out our values is is very challenging in and of itself. We can best do that when we best understand who it is that we support and serve. And so to me, that is our students who are increasingly more diverse in all all ways, including their um, multiple identities and background and history, family history with education and access. Together, Whitney, Jenny, and Henry point to the
2: importance of recognizing identity as overlapping and inclusive of multiple categories simultaneously. This ensures that the varying needs of underrepresented students and other groups are recognized rather than fragmented. Understanding personhood in this way is vital to diversity, especially when we're talking about numbers. From the U.S. Department of Statistics, full-time faculty they remain largely white. of full-time faculty members and 84% of full professors were white in 2013. And this is not surprising, but what is left unsaid in the numbers? What then are some of the limits of the term diversity? Whitney again.
3: You know now there's more of a move to thinking about diversity in addition to things like equity and inclusion, and um, I think that is an important shift. That we don't we don't just want that representation, or we don't just want an individual here to represent diversity. We want the institution to be more equitable and inclusive for all individuals who might have you know once been underrepresented, you know, um, alienated from those spaces to come into these spaces, but and feel included and that their voices matter and that they're contributing to the type of institution they think is, you know, they want to be at that is equitable and Mm -hmm. serving communities.
2: On a local, national, and international level, we're becoming increasingly more diverse by sheer population growth. Is this enough in terms of achieving equitable numbers? Like, What does this mean in terms of how
0: critical interventions are or should be? on just the ge- inertia of time, mm-hmm. would we ever reach representation? And the clear answer is no. Without some intervention in that general inertia of time, you will never reach representation at least you know, 100 plus years out.
2: This means that enrollment and en- recruitment rates are crucial when we're talking about faculty, but also graduate students specifically. But maybe what we're really getting at are retention levels when we're talking about doctoral completion rates, for example, on a national level, Black, Hispanic, and Native American students enroll and matriculate at significantly lower percentages than their white and Asian counterparts. There isn't any concrete numbers to back this up. Why? According to the Council of Graduate Schools, exact attrition rates are unknown due to the limited data available in terms of completion rates by race and ethnicity.
1: I think an important part of diversity is establishing a sense of community because, for me personally, when I started uh, as a first year PhD student, I really didn't have a sense of belonging or a sense of having an academic lineage. I would walk into a classroom and feel that somehow I was disadvantaged or somehow I did not compare well with the rest of the other students. But what something like DECADE does...
2: DECADE refers to the Diverse Educational Community and Doctoral Experience Program, and it was established at UC Irvine in 2010. Its aim is to help increase the number of female and minority students earning doctoral degrees open to all students.
1: So when a student who may be from a disadvantaged socioeconomic background enters the university as a doctoral student, uh, he or she may not have the sort of intellectual capital that they need right off the bat to succeed. So just coming right in into the experience, they may have you know, certain struggles that the general population uh, may not be able to identify with or assist with uh, immediately. But what something like Decade does, you know, through community meetings, through journal club, through all these different events, Uh, and support from faculty and staff is really giving me that sense of belonging that helps me succeed in graduate school.
2: Academic lineage, to use Henry's term, points to multiple components, including social capital and even cognitive mapping. So in other words, having access to strong, social network to prepare for and anticipate the next steps necessary in matriculating and moving on either to the professoriat or to other opportunities. This goes hand in hand with moving beyond what the numbers say and instead focusing on retention by promoting safe and inclusive spaces within the classroom
3: often we hear, we need a diverse candidate. Mm-hmm. That doesn't actually make sense. Not A person themselves is not diverse. It's that mm-hmm. a person might be different and have a different experience. And then that different experience is supposed to inform their worldview and how they're seen and doing in the world. And that diverse experience they bring to a certain place can be beneficial across mm-hmm. many layers. But it's mm-hmm. not just that one, it's not just that a Black person for instance. Since walks in a room and and they bring the diversity. It's that they bring with them a set of experiences and attitudes that in combination with everybody else in the room might increase the breadth or depth of conversation.
2: The ability to provide a diverse set of experiences and knowledges this is important but let's be honest, depending on the setting, this can be especially difficult and a lot of times can feel like an uphill battle how do we promote these conversations necessary in unraveling institutional hierarchies without promoting self-segregation
0: to me i think some of it is engaging in the hard conversations but engaging it in such a way that is not you know arguing to the death about <laughs> your principle um, which is hard sometimes you know it's like there are some things that i i am willing to go to the end for but there are other things i realize I need the conversation to keep going after today. And so I need to leave an opening and I need to be forward thinking versus sort of feudalistic in my engagement. So I always try to think about that. You know, I can sort of have the, uh, I'm feeling down in feudalistic conversations with my inner circle. But you know, when I'm in strategic conversations and we're figuring out, you know, um, hard conversations around the valuing diversity, especially in a time you mentioned it, we're in extremely resource strapped times as, as a system, you know, if we wanted to do everything we thought we should do, we can't even we don't have money to do even the things that we we have to do um, in a lot of places. So remembering to engage in those conversations in such a way that it's, let's keep talking about this, I don't want to end the conversation here, I want to Let's keep thinking about solutions that move the needle forward, even if we can't do everything that we want to do. Diversity requires a very constant and proactive
2: approach. The academy, especially within its various departments and disciplines, values very specific ways of knowing in the world. This directly impacts the ways in which we're not only seen, but also how we perceive. Underrepresented minorities, for example, are such a small percentage of the uni- university population that they're often called upon because of their expertise, in part rooted in their own experiential knowledge, all under the name of diversity.
1: Okay, if you're a doctoral student, right, and you have to teach, and you have to research, and you also have to do some sort of service, how important is that service and how much does the university want you to get involved in that service? I said I as a diverse student, you know, I was involved a lot. And yes, it was out of my own volition. But yeah, there was also some, I mean, people in the administration did encourage me to do it, which is okay. I was happy to do it. But, you know, for certain students, you know, without that social capital and the intellectual capital, being on these committees may take away from their research and their teaching. And that's definitely a reality, which is something that's not really talked about, Uh, but we do have to put in extra labor in service, even though we may be struggling with teaching and researching. That's true.
2: The personal is political for many faculty, staff, and students as well, with diversity really serving as a driving force in one's work and career, but embedded within this is a question of accountability.
3: Then what that does is means you're putting it all on these individuals that um, already are dealing with a lot of different things. And and the world of academia are already overburdened by just service requests often at the hands of diversity. Like we need someone to sit on this panel and talk to us about their work in the community. Or we need someone to even translate this into their home language. Like that's, those aren't things that are really often included in our job description, but they are things that um, I think many of people of color are asked to do on behalf of the university. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we we put, the idea of diversity as individuals themselves, we're really missing the goal.
2: There are multiple layers of invisibility and in turn challenges reflective of power structures. Throughout this episode, we've already touched upon the important role of faculty and graduate students in terms of representation and retention, but there's still one group we have yet to discuss, and that is
0: staff. Often in universities, staff are sort of the individual uh, in, invisible constituent, in addition to being part of the people who drive the mission of universities. Many universities are also some of the largest employers in a community, right? Uh, we employ in terms of non-academic staff, you know, a give and take about 10,000 people um, here on our campus alone. So, you know, what is our role and responsibility as an employer as well? You know, and are we um, doing the best to be equitable in the way that we hire, develop, promote um, and advance staff?
2: Surprisingly,
0: there's little research
2: in this area.
0: And so I wanted to sort of add to the um, portfolio of work by doing um, a study on, you know, what is the career progression, particularly of staff of color in large public universities? And are there, or do there appear to be ceilings? And I, I wasn't st- st- too surprised, but it is very, still quite disturbing when you see these charts um, at Berkeley, for instance, and this was very similar. At, I, I did a study on 10 other public universities nationwide, where for any staff of color group, at the lowest job classification, up to the highest job classification, you have uh, staff of color most extremely overrepresented at the at the bottom of those classifications, and then basically exponentially underrepresented by the time you get to senior management and cabinet levels. And I want to be very clear that I I don't feel like equity is when we reach numeric equity, right? Uh, That this isn't entirely a numbers game, but that, in fact, what our numbers are and the trends of our numbers is a reflection of our values.
2: We'll come back to the theme of invisibility throughout this podcast series. Overall, across multiple platforms, data sets on diversity reveal we still have a long way to go. But at the same time, they also serve to inform the various directions and collaborations that are available to us. There's no questioning that daily interactions within the university are heavily shaped by the demographics of faculty, students, and staff, as together they literally compose the face of the university. As much as diversity is curricular, the co-curricular also carries with it hefty weight. Together, these various constituents make the wheels of academia turn. But how does diversity create more, a more productive and engaging environment?
0: Often, um, the best solutions and the most innovative and creative and even profitable ideas come out of difference.
2: Diversity, well, it's complicated and requires a multifaceted approach. Whether we're talking about partnerships with organizations, such as retention programs geared towards underrepresented doctoral students, addressing the leakages in the pipeline requires continued all around approaches. Perhaps more importantly, acknowledging that in in diversity, underrepresented groups are not monolithic entities. Be they first generation, undocumented, with reference to socioeconomic backgrounds, etc., each group requires different sets of approaches in making the strides needed in the long and necessary journey towards equity and reform. Our conversations on voices of diversity seek to delve further into these various subgroups in heterogeneous settings. Thank you to our contributors, Whitney Laster-Pirtle, Assistant Professor of Sociology at UC Merced, Henry Lam, Doctoral Candidate at UC Irvine, and Jenny Kwan, Associate Chief of Staff at UC Berkeley. For more information on UCHRI, please visit uchri.org. Please join us next time as we discuss mothers of color in academia.